you know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry has spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Sponsored Guns and Mental Health Podcast. This week's guest is Derek LeBlanc. What's up, Derek? Hey, guys. How you doing? Well, I'm awesome. Mike, how are you? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm excited for today's show. I think this, uh, you're, Derek, you are somebody that I admire because you kind of just keep your head down and do your thing. Um, and you do something. I, I talk about like 2A superheroes that just do great work. And the work you do with children and gun safety is incredible, man. So I'm glad to have you. That means a lot. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Derek, uh, run, well, you founded it, right? You founded it? I founded it. You founded yep. it and run an organization called Kids Safe. And um, uh, the, or- the organization's website is K-I-D-S-S. So there's two S's there. Um, mm-hmm. I did notice there's another one. It's like some sort of school in Florida or something. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's got is. one S. It's Kid Safe. But yours is Kids Safe Foundation dot org and uh you guys just launched a new website you should probably tell everybody about that because we were chatting right before we got on air on air if this is on air on digital air (laughs) yeah so we just launched a new website it just went live today and so basically the goal is just it's it's geared for growth and so it's very you know we're going to be able to translate our our information in different languages and ultimately it's going to reach a whole bunch of kids across the country maybe across the world and teach them about safety you know, and ed- educate them, empower them to make good, safe decisions when it comes to an unsecured firearm. And, you know, hopefully, you know, stop legislation. You know, the goal is education over legislation, you know, and and kind of that's where we're going right here. And, you know, we I love what you guys are doing. So I'm glad we could kind of work together to kind of get the message out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely what Walk Talk America is about is, is education, conversations, um, not policy, right? Cause we're, yeah. we're about, we're about Liberty here. We want people to be empowered to make correct choices, um, not be told what choices to make by some authority. Right. So, um, before we leapfrog too far down this, uh, this, uh, path toward websites and stuff, you should probably explain what your goal is. And it's obviously it's, it's keeping children safe with firearms, but it's, it's deeper than that. And it's more nuanced, right? Well, I mean, ultimately it's about, giving our kids the tips and tools that they need to make good decisions. Um, You know, realistically, we have, I saw a report yesterday from the NSSF where there's 5 million new gun owners since the beginning of the year. That's, that's amazing. And so part of that is, is now we have new guns in the home and there might not be educational opportunities for the kids yet. And so they might be vulnerable. So that's where we come in, where we're trying to, to, you know, extend that olive branch to maybe new gun owners and say, Hey, you welcome right to the two way crowd. And then let's, let's educate our kids and make sure they know what not to do. And so we do it in a very, you know, very moderate approach. You know, we're not kind of, uh, I'm a big two way advocate, you know, cause my gun was used to save my life. And that's kind of what set me on this process to where I am today. Um, so I, I, I value my two way rights, but it's also with that comes 
great responsibility, and we have to educate our kids and educate the public as well. Well, hold on, back. You just said that your firearm saved your life. Do you mind sharing yeah. that story? Yeah, so it was, it was back in 2013. Uh, basically, what had happened is I was going to work on a Sunday morning. I left my gun on my kitchen table uh, with my coffee, so I went out to, tr- uh, to you know warm up my truck, left the gun on the kitchen table. When I stepped out, I actually opened the car, uh, the truck, opened the doors, and I noticed there were some feet exiting the rear passenger window of my truck. And so I ran around the hood of the truck. The guy was getting up, pretending like he was a CSI. I didn't fall for it. I immediately swept his legs, put him on the ground, and that's when the fight began. Um, so I, f- I struggled with him for you know about 10 minutes on the ground, and that's when my girlfriend at the time came out with my shotgun and, and saved me and, and broke it all up, and we called 911 and got law enforcement there. But that set me on my path as an advocate because you know now we have two people that were good people with a gun that used a gun in a defensive situation without even firing a shot, you know? And so that's kind of helped, helped shape my, my journey to where I am today. That's crazy. You came out and there was a dude in your truck in the morning. What yep. were trying to, to steal it or waiting to, to jump you or what? Oh, so basically he had hit the whole neighborhood. Mine was the last truck. Mine, mine was the wrong truck, right? Because I caught him in the act. You know, he basically stole change, magazines, stuff like that. You know, no no firearms were ever left in the vehicle. But the point is he was inside the vehicle and I caught him in the act. Wow. And so, you know, the only only retribution he ever faced was by my hand. You know, I I, I physically put him on the ground and, and fought with him and, and kept control of the situation and, you know, bloodied him up pretty good, you know, but I had to do that, you know, to keep control because I didn't know if he had a needle, a knife, any kind of weapon that could have, could have harmed me, you know, yeah. so that was kind of the terrifying part. Yeah, there's, it's interesting because th- these are the stories that never, no, nobody ever hears them. They never make the news. They never, it's, you always hear about the the bad incidents, the negligent mm-hmm. incidents, everything about that, but you never hear, and a lot of times people don't even report these stories, right? I have yeah. stories from friends that caught people breaking into their car and basically, you, you know, just had the firearm on them and it de-escalated the situation and the person yeah. took off and no one's calling the news to report that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's just this, it's not balanced when you see the, the different stories, but you know, those are, I like to hear those stories because nobody ever talks about those. They just talk about the bad things that happen or the negligence or, you know, you, you see the people like in the, you know, in Missouri that came out and they had no, they were muzzle flashing each other and <laughs> pointing yeah. Yeah. at the crowd. <laughs> awkward pause so uh, (laughs) we have we have sound effects now um (laughs) this is great see if this were live radio we would we would just roll with it so we're just gonna roll with it um and so you've got this uh affection now for for the second amendment and for defending Mm -hmm. your firearms rights and that translates well uh how old are your kids Uh, so i have a four-year a four-year-old and a 23-year-old that's a large span there, it is a very large span, um, but ultimately, it it's it not necessarily about my kids. It's about the public's kids, right? Because I I'm responsible with my farms, and I make sure my farms are secure. Um, and you know, we don't need new legislation to prove that. We just need to make sure that we educate the kids, you know. And so that's kind of what we're doing with outreach to the parents. Is is yeah, we have this constitutionally protected right with our two way, but with that comes responsibility. And our you know our two way rights are invalid or not i wouldn't say invalid but um if if one of my kids is hurt with my firearm what's the point of my two eight rights right 
Um, so it's very, very important that we are, you know, responsible at all times. And, and, you know, right now with what's happening with the you know, societal unrest, you know, you know, guns are probably at, at ready, you know, cause we don't know what's happening, you know, with protesting and rioting and, and, and all the other COVID and the pandemic. And so that's what makes our, our kids potentially, you know, vulnerable. And you're up in Oregon right now. And yeah. that's, uh, that's a hot spot, right? Right now, especially in the Portland area. Yeah. Um, seems to be a lot of unrest. How how is your class received? Obviously, by the people that take the class or put their children through it, it's obviously mm-hmm. received well. I mean, there's enough proof of that out there. But um, do you feel like you get any negative attention or have you dealt with any politicians or anybody, any community leaders that that don't like what you do? Yeah, we've had a little bit of a little bit of pushback. You know, most I think for the most part for the stuff that we put out, there's not a lot of pushback because they know that what the the message is pure, right? Um, the only only really negative pushback I got was back in 2018 when I, I did have a, a Senate bill that I, I worked through the you know the Oregon legislature that would authorize our program all the first first grade for all of our public schools. And it's the only negative time that came from the typical anti-gun crowd, which you know they they believe that we should restrict and regulate and confiscate as opposed to educate. And so that was kind of the only time um, that I got any kind of pushback, you know, but, you know, we got a public hearing and we were able to actually, you know, make tremendous progress in a public hearing, actually make, make their argument kind of null and void. So it was a great experience. We learned a lot and we're going to hopefully do it again. So the bill wasn't adopted, but it, but you got the hearing, which is an incredible step because for anybody who's ever tried to pass any legislation, you're not even guaranteed that it'll get to committee. You know, a lot of times it's no. get killed in the back back channels. Yeah. So ultimately that in 2018, when there was 37 anti-gun bills and then there was our bill. Hmm. And so there was only, there was only two bills that year that got a public hearing. It was ours. And there was this monstrosity of an anti-gun bill that got a, got a public hearing, you know, and, you know, both of them died in committee because they basically ran out the clock on the, in the legislature because it was a short session. Um, but ultimately, we, we made a lot of contacts up there and, and, and made a name for what we're trying to do. And so, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for the, t- the right time. And that's the goal with our website and everything like that is I have a lot of partners across the country where I'm hoping that if I can get it, our program established in like Hawaii or, or Nebraska or all these other, or Utah, where all these other or other people that I'm speaking with, if I can get a foothold there, then I can it'd be a little bit easier for me to maybe make it happen in Oregon. That's awesome. Do you, do you partner with uh, local ranges or do you do the training yourself or how does that work? So right now um, I do all the training myself, um, but part of our website and our, our curriculum development is we're actually getting our stuff in. It's in copyright right now. And so the goal is once it's ready, we're going to be able to partner with other organizations. Um, you know, we're, I'm a, a Bass Pro Shop pro staffer. So we're actually in talks right now with Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop to hopefully roll our program out to every, every store location. That's, that's the goal. And that's, that's kind of what I'm praying for right now. Um, and that way we can reach a t- tremendous amount of kids, you know, the, the infrastructure is already there. And then we'll be able to go to other organizations to kind of partner with and let them kind of do what we do in their, in their, their cities. Where, where do you host these classes? Uh, typically it's either going to be at a Cabela's. Uh, I do some live fire training. We also do public schools. I mean, basically wherever I can get some kids together, you know, I'll, I'll host a class because ultimately it's about just traveling, putting, putting in the time and the effort and, and, and show them what we do works. And it's a, it's a, it's a solution. You know what I mean? We're bringing a solution to the, to the table and we're talking about education. 
do you need a, a range or is it classroom and then range or like, is, how does is it, how does it unfold exactly? So we have a couple different classes. Our, our number, our kids firearm safety, one class is it's educational. It's inside of a, a classroom or a classroom type setting. Uh, and then we also follow that up with the kids firearm safety too, which that one's live fire. And so that's held at a local range with rim fires. And so basically everything we're learning in, in the, in the first class, we get to kind of reinforce with the second with, with real firearms. What's the plan now? If you're, uh, if you're looking out to other States, you got the, you got the material copyrighted. Um, are you looking for hosts or like classroom space or instructors or like parent volunteers? Like how, I guess I'm asking, like if people are listening to this and they're like, man, I'd love to get involved in that. Do you have to be a certified instructor? Do you have to be just a, somebody who cares? Uh, do you, do you need space? Typically there's going to be probably different, different parts of the development. Obviously if, if anybody's going to be doing any live fire training or instructing in front of the kids, you know, we would prefer that they're a certified instructor. Um, for liability reasons, you know, obviously yeah. not, not everybody's going to be able to do what we do. You know, I'm very kind of particular with way, cause the message is very, it's for all kids, not just the kids with guns in the house. So, you know, some of that, not every instructor is going to be able to teach the way that we kind of interact with the kids, you know, so I got to kind of be careful with, with who I include. Um, but ultimately it's all about, you know, getting people around the country that see value to the two way community and value to the safety of their communities by what we're doing and getting involved, you know, so they're always, they're going to be, as this thing grows, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I have, I'm being directed by my board of directors, but you know, we're kind of in uncharted territory because you know how, you know, what makes this work, you know? And, and so, you know, it's going to be come down to lots of, lots of planning, lots of preparation. Um, but the goal is just to reach as many kids as we can. You know, we've already reached 21,000 kids in four States since the beginning of, of our foundation, you know, and, and taught them these life-saving skills. So the, the goal is I want to reach 500,000 and then 5 million kids. That's, that's the goal. And I know it's pretty lofty, but I think, you know, right now the way society is, is people are looking for a solution and they're looking for something to gravitate to. Like, that's what I love what you guys are doing because you guys are putting out positive stuff, even though it's a very, it's a very, you know, delicate topic it's important that we are able to have these conversations and and we're kind of in that same same lane you know where it's these conversations are very very important and we got to be able to have them with our children and 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 teach our kids you know you know right, what's right and what's wrong mm-hmm. and and what to do and what not to do you know and and we also talk about you know anti-bullying as well you know there's a component of our program as well and so the goal is is teaching you know vital de-escalation skills at a young age and, and teach, you know, future leaders, you know, that's kind of where we're going. Um, we're also talking about video games, video game violence there. That's another thing that's not being addressed in our society um, is, is there's actual a, a lobby, you know, for video games that actually they, they try to keep these, these laws from coming into effect that would restrict them, you know, and, you know, from my point of view at a, at a young age, the, the, the video game is definitely more damaging to the young mind. And we're, we're, we want to blame the gun. Right. And we're not we're actually not addressing the root cause of of that negative behavior. It, it is. And and you touch on a really important point there. And if I mean, I don't mean to go down too far into the rabbit hole, but with yep. regard to video games and, and the, the repetitive exposure to um, violence, we, we've got a lot of research that says it won't make you violent. What we also have is a lot of research that says you fail to regard life. 
So yes. that's the that's the bigger, more sinister, pernicious underpinning to all this is that when you repeatedly see people or images of people get disposed of and then either they magically regenerate because it's a video game or mm-hmm. um, they're they're treated like objects instead of humans, what it ends up doing is it sends a signal to the brain that life doesn't matter. And yeah. and it translates. And, and this goes this isn't like a new thing. This goes back to like right in between World War One and World War Two, um, when we started training our soldiers to shoot human shaped targets and they mm-hmm. weren't humans anymore, they became targets. And if you saw a bunch of humans, it was not it was not a bunch of, you know, people like you. It was a target rich environment. And so it dehumanized people for the purpose of wartime and conquering. But now what we've done is we've inadvertently trained our youth to, to lack value for humanity. And, and that's not just for life. So we don't, we don't just get desensitized through video games and social media, watching death and destruction. It it trickles out into lack of respect for people's opinions, positions, their value as a whole. And it's super, super dangerous. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that. I could, I could soapbox about this for a long time, you know, being the mental health guy and all, but, um, that's, yeah, it's, it's not to be understated and it's not to just simply cop out and chuck the video games out the door and be like, video, violent video games are the problem. It's like, no, we've been playing video, violent video games for like 30 years and we're, we're all okay. It's not that it's the, no. it's the gradual dehumanizing of, of our fellow people. Well, it's cause we're not, we're, we're forgetting about empathy. Uh-huh. You know, empathy is, is missing right now in our society. And when it, and we're talking about video games, video games are great if they're age appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. There there's, there's ratings on those video games for a reason. And when I'm, I'm meeting six or seven year olds and they know a lot about the modern sporting rifle because of call of duty, you know, you know, I have an issue with that. And, and so, and I'm not telling the kids, I'm not telling the parents to reparent their kids, but I'm saying, okay, this is what makes our kids vulnerable. Right. And this is what we're desensitizing our kids to violence. We're also there. There are studies that show that it makes them more aggressive at a young age. Yes. For sure. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say it outstrips their developmental stage is what it what it's doing. It does. Um, And I I teach this when I teach my emotional functioning course. Um, We talk about like waves of emotion there's a beginning a middle and an end to every emotion and if you mm-hmm. want you can listen to this on the Noggin notes podcast if you guys are listening you're curious um but um there's waves and there's so there's a beginning a middle and the end and right in the in the middle is where we lose control over whether or not we feel something we we feel it and then we have to endure it and what we get taught at a very young age hopefully if we're raised well is that we can endure emotional experiences life throws stuff at us our brain mm-hmm. interprets it sends a signal do something in response to this environmental stimulus and then we move on right but if we're mm-hmm. if we're inadvertently exposed to uh, magnitudes of of emotional waves that are are disproportionate to where we should be say you you show a 4 year old a, a dog getting hit by a car that's that's not what a four year old's supposed to be exposed to. We're supposed to protect mm-hmm. their innocence and gradually build up to that tolerance. Um, so when you when you get exposed inadvertently to extreme emotional situations um, at too early of an age, we call that trauma. And the traumatic mm-hmm. effect to the brain is is long lasting, or it, it can be long lasting. Now, if you do that repetitively over time, what you get is what we're discussing, which is a complete alteration of how we interpret the environment. And this goes for uh, pornography too, and, and exposure to mm-hmm. sexual imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, it just creates a devaluing of the of the image, the act, the 
the the thing itself that occurs naturally or in the environment that we're supposed to see as adults, not as children. And then by the time mm-hmm. we get to adulthood, we don't know what to do with it because we've already seen it. And so we look yeah. for more and more stimulus to excite us to, you know, hit our dopamine receptors. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Sorry. Rant yeah. over soapbox. Off. No, no. And I, I respect, I respect your insight. Um, you know, I always, we always talk about magical thinking, right? Yeah. Or, you know, our, our kids from about two to seven, they engage in what's called magical thinking where they don't have enough, you know, maturity, emotional maturity, they're, you know, they're getting their information from, you know, their environments, which is either their friends, YouTube, you know, social media, video games. And so this can set them on a path where they could either, you know, as you said earlier, where you're, they don't have appreciation for life. Right. Uh, and so right now what we're seeing, we're kind of seeing that kind of come out in, in our society, right? Because people don't care about other people's opinions. Their opinions, the only one that matters, uh, they're very aggressive. Um, and I don't know what to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back, I'm concerned about, you know, what our kids are being exposed to right now because of the parents are rallied up because of social media. It, it's, um, it's contempt. Derek, I, yeah. Go on. Let Mike. me ask you a question, Derek, because so having said that, and me and you have disagreed on this and that's what I love about you because we disagreed and we agreed to disagree mm-hmm. and I've disagreed with Jake on this before. So no, we haven't. Uh, just kidding. No, we, we've, we've had a talk about this actually. Yeah. Um, um, but okay. There, I think there's variables to everything, but I guess my question is, have you ever had a, a student, a young child come through your class and maybe they weren't taking it as serious because they were applying it to this video game where it's like, yeah, shoot them up. Bang, bang. Yep. Or, yep. yep. Okay. And that, and every, every class. Okay. All right. Good. I mean, I, I want to put that out there because that that's a great way to kind of validate what you're saying to me, right? Because mm-hmm. you're on the front line, you're working with kids. I don't work with children and firearms. Yeah. Um, I just don't, um, you know, but I've always had this issue. I, I think a, a lot of times, and I'm not saying you two are doing this, uh, but a lot of times, like we just try to pick these things and say, well, it's this, like, this is the issue or this yeah. is yeah. You know, or it's just the medication this guy's on or, or stuff like that. I mean, by the rationale of what you guys just said, me and all of my friends growing up would be serial killers. Like we just played violent video games all day long <laughs> and we watched violent movies all the time. Right. No, no but I get what you're yeah, saying. I understand. I do understand what you're saying as well. And I appreciate that because I could see a kid when, when I'm framing it up this way, going into your class and acting a little erratic because, you know, call of duty or doom or any of the games, I've probably dated myself with the doom reference, but um, any of those first person shooter games, it, it or grand theft auto, right? Like it creates this environment where, you know, I, I, I'm feeling what you guys are saying because now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, it does kind of disregard life and you jack a car and you throw somebody out in the street. So whatever. Yeah. So Mike, I, I want to, yeah, I agree. I, with I you. got some too when, yeah. we're, when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. So here's why we don't grow up to be serial killers balance. Okay. So I know that you, mm-hmm. I heard you say, you know, I grew, I played them all day, every day. That's, we know that's not true. You were in school some of the time and you were, you know, playing sports some of the time and whatnot. Right. Um, and I don't think it's a quote unquote worse problem today. I think it's been magnified. Um, and I think parents are less involved than our parents were, um, because video games 
and social media are more um, ubiquitous now than they were. Mm-hmm. When we were playing our Sega Genesis and our NES, you know, the, the Contra guys disappeared. And I, I had one friend who wouldn't let her kid play. Uh, sorry, I had a friend whose mom wouldn't let him play those types of video games because it was artificially representing death. And that was that was an extreme version of it. She, he couldn't play any video games where people or characters died. Um, we've got multiple factors at, at play here. Um, I think the reason that that their video games are front and center now is because they're more realistic. Um, kids are playing them longer. They're playing them without parental supervision, and we're now starting to lack the balance that maybe we had in the '80s and the '90s. Um, so you can have a both end, and I want to make sure that we don't go into the binary here, which is the either or, all or nothing thinking. Yeah, where it's like, ah, it's all bad or it's all good. No, there's there's great to everything. And, and one of the conversations we had recently. Um, uh, on a different podcast was about social media. Social media is like pointed as the devil. It's not, it's just a tool and video games are just a tool. And I think anything that you take in life with balance is, is worth, edu- you know, worth, worth experiencing. And then education can come along with that. And I think Derek's probably going to pick up on that point about, you know, kids coming in wanting to shoot them up. We all did that with cap guns and whatnot, which are now yeah. banned. I guess. Well, and, and, and we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, and we're not trying to have parents. We're just trying to offer solutions that, and, and, and show them how this could lead a bad, bad way. Like, I respect your opinion, Mike. And, and I, I think it's very, very valid. I think it comes down to, you know, personal responsibility, personal accountability as well. I mean, I see kids, every class I pull the kids for, what do they know about zombies? Right. And I always have these kids that their hands go straight up and they're like, well, um, they're undead. And then the other one says, Oh, you shoot them in the face. And then the other one says they're scary. And I, then I, then I bring them back to reality and say, can we all agree that they're not real? And I've, I've had some kids that say, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I've also had kids that start crying because they think that I like it. Basically I'm talking about Santa Claus, right? Oh, is, no. <laughs> is, you know what I mean? But that's how their mind is working at the young age because of how much time is being invested in the video games. And ultimately you know, this is just a, a small percentage of, of what we do, um, but it's an, another example that separates us from any other organization that's trying to do the kids' farm safety, right? Right. Um, and, and that's why we're trying to be, you know, now we're talking about, you know, we're talking about video games as well, is this is a way for those bad people to also access our kids, right? Is they can have these back backdoor conversations. So ultimately that, you know, it's another, another part of the empowerment process of our youth is we got to let the parents know this is where they're potentially vulnerable. And, and I'm working very closely, like, you know, pedophilia is kind of a, a thing right now. And so as, as a president, as a founder of a, of a child safety organization, I'm not going to be okay with that. Even though I'm a libertarian, right. I want people to do whatever they want to do within, in the balance of the law. Like when you're crossing a line to, to expose yourself to a child, I mean, that's where I, I draw the line. That's unacceptable. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> so, but you know, that's kind of, they all, they all go together, right? Are you, um, hover, hover on that for me for a second, if you would, Derek. Um, are you getting any uh, suspicious glances or overly protective parents or organizations that are um, maybe making accusations either overtly or covertly that say that you can't be trusted with children? Are you hearing that me? at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm- um, I haven't heard anything because I'm very careful, you know, with with the message. And I'm, you know, we have policies in place as an organization, especially when it comes to volunteers, you know, I mean, background checks, everything we're doing to protect, obviously protect the organization, but also protect society as a whole, because we're not going to ever have any type of volunteer 
that's going to work directly with children's either alone, right? I'm never going to have a, a, an adult alone with a child ever. That's a policy. Um, also, you know, we're trying to do whatever we can to make sure that we protect the kids. Like I don't, I don't tag parent. Like if, if one of my friends is in the post, I don't tag their kid um, just because I don't want that correlation coming back to them. And I also have parents that tag themselves. Oh, Hey, did you see our, our kid? I end up, I message the parents say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take this comment down just because I want to protect the kids. That's cool. Um, and I'm glad you said that. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to talk about that. And where I asked that question comes from as a, as a licensed clinician, um, mm -hmm. we've, we've gone entirely to zoom since the pandemic and the outbreak mm -hmm. and we're staying there, which is good for a lot of reasons, but we've had far more parents than I ever imagined ha having hesitation about quote unquote, leaving their child alone with a computer with an adult. And it's like, Whoa, we're, we're like licensed by the state. We're backgrounded up one side and down the other. And, and there's still this hesitation because of the mm -hmm. technology component. Mm -hmm. And, and so our, our very gentle pushback is, well, would it be any different if they were, you know, in a room with an adult alone at the office? And then they go, well, I guess not. I trust you there. You know? So it, it's, yeah. it, it is real and, and it's on people's minds. And now, of course, now it's hitting social media and there's all these conspiracy theories and whatnot. I think it's heightened everybody's sensitivities. And that's why I ask, are you, are you, you know, experiencing any of that? No. That's and, good. and right that's now, really like going forward, like I'm kind of getting into the danger, like wading into the whole pedophilia thing. Like we haven't, we haven't, you might want to rephrase that the next time you say that. Maybe. <laughs> well, like Jesus, rephrase Jesus. what? Oh, you said I'm wading into, into the whole pedophilia thing. <laughs> well, what what I what I mean is is how as an organization, what is our official stance? Like, you know, that's what I mean by that is is you know, from my own perspective as a person, as a private citizen, right? Not the founder, I think it's unacceptable. Yeah. And because part of everything we do is all about protecting the kids. So like that's my firm stance. So I'm 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 waiting for board approval and we're doing a lot of research to figure out, you know, I think it's, it's very safe to say that we will be anti-pedophilia. Yeah. I think it's, you know, but it's, it's once we get out into that, that arena that's separate from firearms, like, what do we do? You know what I mean? Cause and, there's not enough, it's, it's such a new topic really. Yeah. And where does it stop and what other policies yeah. do you create? And that's tough as, yeah. a, as a libertarian trying to create policies. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> I can, I can give you a little, and I was teasing you obviously about the waiting into pedophilia phraseology there, but um, I, I want to give you this. Um, it's something from our profession that we hold very sacred. That is um, you don't abuse the power differential. People walk into power your office, power differential. Yeah. So when people walk into your office and you're held as the expert of something, whether it's a mechanic shop or a therapy shop, um, you're going in there to seek wisdom and counsel for the thing that's mm -hmm. going wrong, right? Squeaky brakes or, um, you know, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we are beaten over the head with don't abuse the power differential. I think probably to, to such a degree that we become so deferential in my profession that we fail to give feedback for fear of like, correcting someone inappropriately in a way that they didn't ask for or something. Um, and there's a debate to be had about that, whether you're directive in your sessions or not. But the point is that um, at no time is it acceptable for someone in a position of authority to abuse that power upon the person who is seeking the the direction from that authority. And I think that's mm -hmm. what, what, when we're talking about pedophilia, um, you've got adults who are allegedly fuller functioning, at least they're more, uh, cognitively developed, um, 
really inappropriately leveraging that a bit upon somebody who is not fully developed and lacks the mm-hmm. ability to consent and that kind of thing. So I think you're right to take that stand. I don't think anybody's ever going to give you any pushback on that. Not, not significantly or seriously anyway. Um, so I, I applaud your efforts. Mike's waiting to jump in, I think. Well, no, I was just going to say like, the, okay. So I think anytime someone works with children, right. Especially after things like the boy Scouts and everything mm-hmm. yes. kind of blown up, right. This flag goes up and people are like, well, why would somebody want to work with children? Um, but I actually kind of want to ask you, you talked about, you know, your love for the two a and defending yourself, but what made you jump into this arena? Cause I, listen, besides the whole, like having to worry about what parents think working with kids is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. so what we go there <laughs> well do you believe in a higher power yes yeah okay so it was one night i was working in the middle of the night i was working underground utilities um i was a new instructor because of what had happened to me with that that scary situation and this light went on in the middle of the night as i was driving down the middle of the, and it was funny is is in eugene oregon is they actually started that part of the street on fire on on may 29th and so this this spot where that flash of light came to me and said i have to protect the kids wow. which i didn't know what that meant at that time but i want to do some kind of post to that because that's where my thought that thought came to my head right is god spoke to me your whoever's higher power says i have to protect the kids because i had just come off a rain session um with some new parents and they were just totally inexperienced, which they were new to firearms, but they realized that they, they needed the gun to, to be able to protect their kids. And I'm like, I respected that because their I think their intentions were pure, but they were missing parts of the equation. And so at that point, um, I woke up that morning, got on my computer. I found there was a program by the NRA, the Eddie Eagle program, you know, but being from Eugene, very left of center, I was concerned about, you know, how well received it'd be. And so I set out at that point to, you know, start doing research and I started developing my own program. And so it was about two years of hard development. So that was t- about 2014 to 2016. Uh, then we became a nonprofit in, in 2016. And so we've, you know, reached about 21,000 kids so far. And, and so it was that process. It was that kind of epiphany is like, yes, I can, I can have all these parents running with guns and being proficient, but if they take that gun off and leave it on the bed because they had a long day and the kid comes across it and, and hurts himself or herself, then what's the point. Right. And, and so, you know, it was, it was that, that flash of light, that epiphany that led me to where I am today. And that's, it's made, it's made me a better advocate for our two rights and two a rights, because it's, it's allowed me to have these, these, these really important conversations with people that either don't, believe in my second amendment rights or they don't like the two a rights. Right. And, and so it's being able to have these conversations with parents that either they just want to, and, and I've kind of used the equation with our, and the analogy with our program is, is we teach all of our kids to swim because we don't want them to drown. Right? <clears throat> and that's the, that's the same concept behind our firearm safety program is, is, you know, obviously in Oregon pools aren't as dangerous as firearms, but we go to Texas you know, fire, you know, pools, you know, cause it's the, the climate, the climate change, you know? And, and so, you know, it's all about being able to have these conversations and, and bringing value to the, to, to the two way community and, and society as a whole. 
I want you to talk a little bit about the um, some of the things that you didn't realize you you weren't covering, I guess, um, and go that direction. But first, did you mention you were you were working with underground utilities? Was that your profession? Yeah, so I was I was actually driving a dump truck in the in the middle of the night on this project. We were working graveyard. I was this big um, bus transit system, and all of a sudden it was I was just it was three o'clock in the morning, and I just remember where I was right at that intersection where they just lit on fire, um, and it's just that just came into my head, and and so I just I I put in the work, and here we are. Who lit the intersection on fire? I want to hear that story. What is this? Uh, about? So that that was the that was the protests. Oh, um, they, they had a big. That was the first. That was right after George Floyd and and what had happened in, in Minneapolis. And so basically, there was that was the first official protest here in, in Eugene. And they you know they take dumpsters and they lit them on fire in the middle of the road and block traffic. It was a pretty dangerous situation. I went down there the next day to kind of check out the 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 carnage. They broke out all the windows. Um. You know, I respect the right to protest. It's just when you cross that line and, and endanger lives, that's where you kind of lose my support. But, but yeah. it was it was at that intersection where that whole this whole thing started for me. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, go ahead. And I hadn't really thought about it until I went down there and noticed that 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 where that fire was. I was like, this is like where it all started for me. Wow. So it was it was pretty powerful. So what are some of those things that you, you mentioned, um, you know, le- leaving a gun on the bed or, uh, or mm-hmm. on a nightstand or something. And in my introduction, uh, for, for the people who may not have, have heard me say this before, I, I grew up around guns, uh, family full of cops, outdoors, people hunting, but I wasn't into the culture. Uh, the gun was just this, this other tool and I was taught to respect them, but I didn't get into the into the culture, right? Until I joined with Mike. And over the last year, I have had my eyes opened and it is, it has been significant. And I realized my worldview was very, very tiny. Um, and I'm running into a lot of, I don't want to say resistance, but I guess hesitation based off of the same type of narrow worldview. We all know only what mm-hmm. we've experienced, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of these, these folks that I'm meeting in the, in the second amendment community are like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to lock up my guns because in case I need them, I need, I need quick access. Right. And so, yeah, you're shaking your head and the audience can't see that because this is audio, but you, you, I could see your, your lips purse and you shook your head. And, and now I have the same visceral reaction like, oh man, no, you can't, you can't be leaving stuff out like that. Talk a little bit about what you've learned and some of the, the, um, the, the things that you're teaching as well as some of the, the attitudes, I guess, that you're, you're countering through this process. Um, so I, I think my, um, probably my biggest, biggest challenge is that two way community. That's that staunch, uh, two way where they're like, shall, shall not be infringed, which I understand, but realistically they're infringing every day. And the reason they're infringing every day is because we keep giving them the ammunition. And when I say we're giving them the ammunition with technology today, I can get into my firearm that's properly stored in a secure Vault-Tec box in less than a second. Okay. So that, the whole argument where I have to have quick access is kind of null and void. Okay. And it's really kind of, I believe disrespectful when it comes to life, when you're all about protecting life, if you're truly about protecting life, you would protect the most vulnerable ones in your house, which is your children. Right. And it comes down to, to mental health as well. You know, if there's a, you know, there's other, I, th- I think there's manufacturers that are trying to incorporate, there's a, a safe. So if anybody has like a mental health issue that, 
they have a certain amount of time where this this lockbox will not be opened to help prevent suicide, which I respect. You know, that's that's the, the two-way community and the two-way companies trying to come up with a solution to what is a problem in the two-way community, right? Um, it's quick access to the gun, either for a child or for somebody that is in a, in a mental health crisis. Um, you- so, I, I, you know, that's why your, your, your guys' stuff is, is, is really near and dear to my heart. And I want to figure out a way to, to maybe incorporate kind of what you guys are doing in a way to reach maybe teenagers, you know, because they're dealing with, you know, hormonal issues. They're also being cyber bullied because of, you know, technology and, and social media. And, and, and there's a lot of kids that are, that are, are taking the, the easy way out there. You know, so it's it's all about coming together and and present, being able to present and share our platforms, where you're going to reach more and more in a, in a pretty important time of their lives. Yeah, I think I think it's important that we work together. It's it's probably long overdue. I was just thinking, you know, while we've been talking, I've been going over some scenarios in my head of of things we can do together. I'm glad you pointed out about the safe and how quickly you can access your firearm uh, the, the proper way when you have children in the house. Because I tell people this all the time. We, we put so much in training with the firearm, right? Like it, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not out of the ordinary for someone to say like, I train every day with my firearm. That's not a crazy comment, right? No. Um, you can train retrieving your firearm from your safe just as much as you train with your firearm. Right? <laughs> message, <Yeah>. message. <laughs> it becomes like I tell people all the time. It's like tying your shoe, right? Like you get to a point where you can tie your shoe in like less than a two seconds or three seconds. Yeah. Um, I have staged firearms around the house in quick access safes and i practice on them when i'm sitting on the phone sometimes talking i'm hitting the button and opening i keep opening the thing i could do it with a blindfold on um so i'm glad you you pointed that out and i'm glad that you 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 have that message with especially you know i think about all the it's not even my children my daughters have grown up around the guns with me i still don't leave them out um but I, I worry about their friends, right? Yes. I worry about the yes. people. <laughs> it's not so much my kids. It's just the friend trying to show off or the friend says, oh, well, I know about guns or grabs the gun and something happens. Um, I'm sure there's an element in your course where you talk about friends probably, right? To parents. Oh, yeah, for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, every class we're talking about, you know, if your kids are going over for a play date and we, and we don't talk about, like, don't ask them if they have guns because sometimes they get a negative response. Just ask them, ask the other parents if they have any unsecured firearms in the home, you know, it's just the way you present that little verbiage. It helps change the way that that parent responds. Right. Uh, Cause ultimately if you can have a, a conversation, maybe you want to think twice about if your kid should be over there. Right. Um, it's really common for kids to, you know, especially young boys, you know, I'm going to kind of generalize on boys is for them to, to be the experts of the guns because they are very proud of the fact that they started at a young age shooting with their parents. And so it's kind of a thing of, where if they have access to the gun, they know where it's kept. They're kind of more likely to go show their friends that this is, this is my dad's gun. That's how someone gets hurt, you know? And so that's what we're trying to prevent. You know, there's been, there's been times I've had parents come into a class and they say, well, the reason we're here is my kid went to a play date and they found a revolver in the couch cushions. Right. And like my, kind of my, my heart drops and my, you know, but it's that close. I've had other other parents that say, well, they're they're meeting the parents for the first time, and all of a sudden their son grabbed the barrel of a 22 rifle that was used for varmint control that was kept behind the door and said, Hey mom, check this thing out, you know, right when the parents were there meeting for the first time. You know what I mean? So it's like 
we we don't know when our kids are going to be put in these vulnerable vulnerable situations but let's let's prepare them so <clears> they <throat> are always safe and they get out of that situation I really appreciate the verbiage offer, by the way, because uh, in the classes that we teach, and we got a couple coming up in October and December that'll be uh, fully online and fully accessible to anybody across the country, which I'm super, super stoked about. Um, for clinicians, when we engage in that conversation about safe keeping of harmful objects, we we're we're pretty okay with medications. We're uh, sort of okay with sharp objects. Uh, for you know, kids who are you know uh, perpetrating self harm and that kind of thing, but we are ignorant when it comes to guns. And so I love that you highlighted. Don't ask if they have guns in the home. That's too obtuse and can be offensive. An intelligent way of asking is, do you have any unsecured firearms? Because then it indicates that you you you're not from you're not afraid of the topic. You might have some chops maybe to speak to it, and it addresses the actual issue, which is the unsecured fire. We don't care if you have guns in the home. We care where they're stored now, right? Yeah, and I I, I kind of bring it back to the analogy as well. It's like you wouldn't want those parents driving around drunk with your kid in the car, you know, same concept. They're both, they both potentially could be fatal. Right. right. So it's all about you're entrusting your child in their care. We need you to be responsible and, and, and safe with our children in your care. That way I can sleep well at night, you know? Mm-hmm. So can you talk about, because, and I know you have a bunch of them because I've read, I've read some of them, but some of your testimonials, some of your cool stories uh, where one of your students has gone through the class has done something amazing um or you know got people out of a bad situation or a group of kids tell, tell some success stories because i know you have them i've read them and they're really cool yeah so i, I try to share everything you know whenever i have a, a cool story that comes into class i try to bring it you know especially if it's an important lesson a teachable moment um one of one of the prime examples when we talk about anti-bullying right so there's a there's a school about 30 uh, 20 minutes from my house right and uh, so last year I taught a, a group of Cub Scouts. There was 41 Cub Scouts in that class. Um, in, in January, I got an email from one of the moms saying that her, her son was threatened by a bully and that that, that bully was going to bring a gun to take care of him. And so luckily, luckily he remembered our training where she stop, walk away, talk to an adult, similar to all the, the anti, the, the, the gun, gun accident prevention stuff. Um, but she, she got involved. She called 911, got the cops involved, and they actually found a gun in a backpack on the way to school Wow! on the bus. Uh, and so it was it was that, you know, that example is a probably a prime example where that potentially could have been fatal for that child or other children in that school shooting situation. And luckily it was thwarted, you know, so. And then there's a lot of things that we don't read about and we don't want to hear about. We just we just know that what we're doing is working. Um you know, there's some, been some other examples where kids have found guns inside the home and they knew what not to do. They told their parents and the parents would let us know, you know, and, and that's a success, you know, and obviously we, but we lose too many kids, you mm-hmm. know, we lose, you know, on, on average eight to nine kids per day across the country. That's the CDC statistic, right? It's about, about 1300 per year. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that, you know, our, our mantra is zero firearm accidents is the only acceptable goal. And that's, you know, until we get to zero, I'm going to keep working, even though, you know, realistically, we break down that, that, that comment, we talk about accidents. Is it really an accident, right? If, if my four-year-old gets hurt with, hurt with a firearm, is that an accident or is that negligence? Right. I, I would think, I would think it's negligence as, right. as me as a parent, right? Because I left that gun 
also I didn't educate the kid as well, you know, so, but kids are coming into contact with at city parks, you know, guns are using the commission of a crime. They're thrown out the window, you know, so kids are coming in contact all over the place. And so that's why it's really, really important as an organization that we do whatever we can to break down these lines and open up those lines of communication. Yeah. I think you're, your organization and your programs, it reminds me of when I talk to some of my elder peers in the firearms industry, when they talk about the gun safety that they learned in the schools mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. and how they had these shooting clubs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm not saying, you know, it's, there seemed to have been w- the mass shooting thing didn't exist back then. It wasn't yes. a thing, right. Like it would happen every once in a while, but it just wasn't really a thing. Um, and I think that that, in my opinion, and obviously it's just an opinion, but I think like the education piece, getting that out of the schools and getting, removing that from children is may have be the cause of this. Uh, some of this, it contributes at least. Um, yeah. I think the education piece is so important. <clears throat> That's why I, I love what you're doing. Cause it's like a throwback um, to when we, there was a time when people understood firearms and they understood how dangerous they are, but they also under- respected them. You know, and it wasn't just let's get rid of them, and and because yeah. that's, that's never going to happen, right? That's yeah. that's that's why we do what we do because we realize, like when people say something needs to be done, no one is going to do it. There's not this crazy team. Uh, there's no legislation. It's always going to get fought. Nothing's ever going to happen. So you just go, you move, you get off the spot, and you you do something positive. And I think that that will, you know. I, I really, really want your program to take off and go nationwide. I think it's so, so important. And, and sometimes you're you're so supportive of (laughs) everybody else. I love it. You're always positive. You're on Instagram. You're always giving a thumbs up or congratulating people. And, and I feel like you're just super, you know, humble and you fly under the radar. But I think that this program, if there's anyone in the 2A community that all the NSSF and everybody else needs to understand is yours. Um, Because you're also bringing in a whole new group of people that into the shooting sports. These children are going to have positive experiences Mm -hmm. going through your course and they're not going to look, it changes the narrative of the firearm, you know, as they get older, because they're going to be able to say like, Hey, like I took this course and let me show you this. I think it's a great thing. And and I, I beg the industry to, to focus more on what you're up to. You, you, it needs to be out there. So. Wow. That's, I mean, I don't do it for trophies. I don't do it for, I do it for the kids and I do it for the kids that I haven't met or the kids that I couldn't save. Right. That's like, there's a huge, huge weight on my shoulders because of all the, all the death that I see. Every time a kid dies, I get tagged. I hate getting tagged. Right. Um, um, ultimately, but it's not about the pay because I'm a volunteer, right? It's, it's a, it's about leaving this country and this world better than I found it. And this is my opportunity to do that. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for your support because I, I, I put out a lot of positive yet. I don't necessarily always see it, but it's fine. I just, I just keep working. I keep doing, I keep doing what we need to do and, and get to that next level. And and then the support and the accolades will come, you know, and hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll equate to hundreds of thousands of kids being saved. Right. Um, Cause ultimately that's what it's about, you know, uh, and we have a, we have an issue with the, the gun community because we're, you know, we're so we're, we're, we like image. We like flashy things. We don't, 
we don't think about all this, the stuff that goes into making that possible. Right. And that's, it's organizations like ours. Like we want to do something to, to save children, right. Through accident prevention. And you're also trying to save, save, save lives through suicide prevention. Right. So like, these are two parts of the two way community that really don't get the, the focus that they need because everybody's focused on the likes, the shares, the comments, the flashy things, um, you know, so it, it, it is sometimes hard to keep going and stay positive, but it's, it's important. We put out what we want to see come back. Right. And so that's why we kind of do what we do. I, um, have, I don't, I don't like to engage in, in, in sword fights and stuff on Instagram, unless, unless I see something that's totally negligent and, and needs to be addressed, you know? Yeah. You know, I, you, I, I was going to ask you, cause you mentioned all this, like, it, it feels like an uphill battle sometimes. And, and I want to know, I have my own techniques and Mike's got his own, but I want to know what your techniques are for continuing to move forward and be positive and not get sucked into the morass of the, um, the negativity and the, and the, the pessimism. How do, how do you do that? What do you, do you have any personal mantras or, or uh, beliefs or just rituals that you do? Well, I, ha- I have to rise above, first of all. Um, I have to, I have to realize that there are people like Michael himself just said, right. That view me as, as a leader, right. A leader in this, in this part of the movement. Right. And, and so part of that is I have to look at is, is my behavior online presidential or of, as a founder. I mean, I, 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 I the president of a, a nonprofit, you know, that's something that I, 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 I have pretty, high regard for. And so it's very, very important that I, that I fill those shoes. And, and for that, I have to, I have to show leadership by being able to be, be positive or word my message. If it's not going to be positive in a way that it's not going to be inflammatory or totally like a bully type comment. There's, it's so easy right now to get on social media and just fire off and fire off and fire off and start these, these, these fights. Um, at the end of the day, it's not going to do anything, but, you know, waste your time you know, elevate your blood pressure and, and, and make you look like a, a jerk, you know? So I, I, I try not to do that. It's, it's hard because those, those which is a challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, it is. And, and I want to explain for a moment why it's hard because it's instantly gratifying to the, to the neurological system in our brains to, to go do that thing. That's, that's, there's a difference between activism and action. Activism tells your brain, I did something in this moment action is takes a lot more patience and discipline and denial of uh, instant gratification to make sustainable change and mm-hmm. what you're what you're doing is you're you're basically denying the impulsive part of yourself to go flash in that moment and say no mm-hmm. actually there's there's a bigger picture here and there's a longer term view that I want to take and that's very very challenging it does take practice and so you know yeah. if people are listening and they're like man I just I just can't I can't seem to resist like posting every little thing that shares my opinion. <laughs> um, how you do it is um, pause and then, yep. and then take a few moments, maybe, maybe close the app and come back later, right? After you've considered it. So you don't give over to the impulsivity. One great way to practice impulse control is if you notice an itch on your body, try not scratching it. Focus yeah. your attention somewhere else and it, and it will go away. Um, that's mm-hmm. one way of just practicing impulse control. I really love that you brought that up. That's so important. And being presidential, I think, is is super key. I mean, it's super cool. It's, it's, it's a challenge, definitely. And, you know, 
But I think I I like the way that you hit on the pause. Like if we pause and, and, and part of what I talk about is, is I had to evolve as a person to get where I'm at today. Right. And so in the beginning, I was very, you know, because I was running and gunning, you know, it's a very high testosterone, you know, uh, training environment, right, within the 2A community. But as I started working with children, I had to realize that these children are looking up to me, right? And so I had to kind of change the way I interact with the parents, you know, especially on social media online. Um, And so we have to kind of evolve the way we communicate with others. And that's kind of, I've made it a very conscious effort to do that. And so I sleep well at night. I, I don't have a lot of stress because of it, because I take everything on social media for with a grain of salt. You know, I, I and I, I realized very, uh, you know, a long time ago what social media was designed for. It's a behavioral modification is what it is. It's designed to incite. It's designed to divide. It, it provides, you know, fake news. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't provide any any value really to our society, but so I, I figure out how I how I counter that, and I just don't feed into it. I don't I don't share stuff that's going to divide. I, I'm careful with the comments that I do make, you know, because ultimately, especially when I'm on Instagram, because they're representing my found found a foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have to be really really careful there, because um, I never want to see anything that's going to be taken that either could be mis misrepresented of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially for me. Jake's had to calm me down a few times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I love memes. I love meme pages. And that's my that's my vice, you know. And it's hard not get wrapped up in that, you know. Yeah, it, it's interesting when people, you know, this is what I love the most. It's 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 people like the three of us. Um, it, it, we are putting in the work. Right. We're actually putting in the work like boots on the ground, uh, grassroots, just doing it. Mm-hmm. I've armed more Americans than most of everyone in the 2A if you add them up. Right. Except for the yeah. other people that owned or, you know, were the president of Ruger or President Smith and Wesson. Yeah. Right. But but, you know, when you think about what I did was selling 60 to 80,000 guns a year only to civilians. Right. We didn't have any law enforcement office, you know, law enforcement contracts or military contracts. I mean, it's always funny to me when somebody starts to talk to me about I, I I'm not a true defender of the two a and I'm like, dude, stop. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like I've armed more people than everybody in the room. Stop it. Like I, we're just, yeah. I'm trying to advance our cause, our community, I, I, you know, and you just get these people that just can't wrap their arms around something, you know, that they, they, th- they hear mental health and, you know, firearms and he just automatically default to, well, he's for red flag laws and restrictions. Yes. Like, no, that's what I just, the actually the opposite of what I'm trying to do. So um, I feel your pain because I, I have to watch myself sometimes too, because I start to become a smart ass and yeah. <laughs> make these comments. And then these trolls, I like to call them trolls because they got nothing to lose. All they do is ring the same bell. They don't go help anybody. They don't go into the community. They don't put on classes for children. They just sit there and post things and whine and bitch. It's almost like an echo chamber of the same comments. It's frustrating. (laughs) It is. It is. And that's, I, my response is, have you volunteered? Have you, have you written us a check? So if you, if you haven't done that, have you shared a post? If you haven't done any of that, then, you know, what, what have you truly done to contribute to a positive thing in in society? You know, and, you know, I, I don't like to go that route, but I mean, that, that is, that's the facts, you know? 
Well, so, it comes off as combative, right? And and yes. possibly sarcastic, and and those can be construed. And one of the the damnable misers of social media is that you mentioned fake news, and I, I don't know if it's some. Yes, it's out. There's definitely a lot of fake news out there, but I think what we're getting, especially with the memetic culture, you mentioned memes, like you're getting partial news, and that's I think yeah. that's actually more dangerous because you get these snapshots that are then taken to. Um, represent an entire person or an entire organization. Um, mm-hmm. And really it was just somebody's joke or, you know, it was, it was done in bad taste or, but either way, it only captures a tiny little fraction and it's an incomplete picture. And, and we've all retreated into this like barb throwing of incompletion that, at each other <laughs> on the auspices that we are under the auspices that we somehow know everything about somebody's entirety. And that's, and that's just, that just pushes us all into our own little islands. And the reason these conversations are so difficult is because it requires a vulnerability of letting go of the idea that you think you know everything about a person in order to accept new information that maybe you don't. And that's hard. Well, it comes down to ego, right? It does. Everything's ego driven. Yep. You know, we, we, it's hard to accept, especially in a, where all your friends are watching that you were wrong. Right. Right. Um, and so I find myself if, 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 if a comment's taken the way I didn't design for it to go, I end up just deleting the comment, right? I just, I just back out. I, I wave my, my white flag of surrender and just leave that conversation, you know, just because it's not worth my time or my energy or that negative emotion for me to spend 15 or 20 minutes going back and forth with a person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the problem is, was we're so morally, sound that we we just want to keep engaging we got to be right we always got to be right we always got to be right and and so that kind of is part of the problem as well you know it's just it's social media yeah yeah it's it's become uh this hulking overgrown mutated monstrosity of the intended purpose you know 15 years ago which was connectivity now all it's doing is is division and that's that's the opposite it sucks um, but it can be overcome and it can be, it, we can push it back to a useful tool if we continue pushing like you're pushing the consistent unwavering messaging of positive, encouraging, solution focused. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people are out there doing it a lot. It's, it's mm-hmm. very, very hard not to, to get distracted though and, and give in to the, to the easy cheap shots that are so tempting, um, and we can have a conversation about dissolving the ego another time, but I really, I, I, I love that you bring that up. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we're over an hour now and I want to, I want to make sure that people, we're not boring people. And plus we want to you know, save material for another time. So they keep listening. Okay. <laughs> um, what's your, uh, I, I heard you say, you know, 500,000, 5 million kids. Um, you want to leave a legacy and I, and I think that's really, really noble. Um, your cause is very noble. It's very, it was very, um, powerful imagery that you had of the, of the light going on and, and, um, and then, you know, bring this metaphorical illumination to your purpose in life. When you're at the end and you're in your rocking chair on your, on your front porch, you know, gazing out into the, into the sunset, what's one thing that you want to point to that you say, I, I made a difference in that. And yes, we know that it's, it's kids' lives saved, but is there something less tangible maybe? Well, I, I think the most important thing is, is maybe leave the fact that um, I'm a prime example that you can start with an idea and put in a lot of work, blood, sweat, and tears and actually do something to change the world. 
And that's the way I feel. I feel like I am literally changing the world um, each child at a time, you know, one child at a time. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of people that always say that they want to get started, but they don't get started. And so, you know, Michael and I and you are, are prime examples that we, we started with a concept, put in a lot of work, and we just kept watering the plant and it kept growing. Right. And we don't I don't know where this plant's going to where it's going to take root somewhere else. But the whole point, and that's part of the fun, is I don't know where it's going to go. And I'm, I'm, I just, the doors keep opening, right? Because you do the right thing, you be a good, good person, and you show, show people that are watching from the outside that it's, it's possible that if you keep working and, and, and be true to yourself and the message, that good things are going to happen. It's awesome. So I guess, I mean, I didn't really prepare for that one. I hope it was adequate. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't prepare to ask it either, but it was good. I might ask that of everybody now that we have on. <laughs> no, it's a good one. I, I totally feel it too, because like when I started WTTA, sometimes I felt like I was staring at a tsunami. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you mm-hmm. get so excited. And then when people start to say, well, wow, like that's a huge, you know, to take that on, that's, that's a, that's crazy. Or, you know, you got your work cut out for you, but it, it's funny how it, it has a way of working out. And even when you get down sometimes and Jake's been there where I've had to call Jake and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I, why am I wasting my time? Especially when I get in a fight with somebody in the two a community and I'm like, why am I fighting for this guy? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to advance us and this guy is giving me a problem. Like there have been times when I've almost quit. You know, uh, it's hard to help people. I tell people that all the time. It's super hard to, to do this because I mean, we need money, right? That's the most important thing to grow this. We need money. And and if you're like me, I'm, I'm horrible at asking for it. I suck at it, you know, because I I feel like, Hey, you should see the value in what I'm doing. You know, I, I, and that's, you know, that's something that I have to work on is going for the ass, but you know, this is why I want to, I want to make sure that you're, you know, whenever I'm on something, I, I try to bring your organization up. When I was working at the white house, I actually brought your organization up. I was hoping that they would have a bunch of us uh, who mm-hmm. are so-called mm-hmm. influ. I don't want to, I hate the word influencer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the people in the two A community that are actually putting in work or, or, being responsible and doing things. Um, but I, I want to have you at the table because your work's amazing. And if, if you go to, you know, your social media, these kids, you could tell they love it. You know, I mean, the videos of you running around the store with them and things like that, you could tell that they're, they're engaged or having a good time. The testimonials speak for themselves. Um, and it just makes sense. It totally makes sense. Like th- you are not the violent video game, right? Kids are not coming out of your class thinking they're Billy badass. They're going out mm-hmm. there just armed with knowledge and being able to get out of dangerous situation. And it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, well, I was, and that's uh, where I appreciate that. And so what, you know, where we're coming at from it is, is we're teaching safety, discipline, and respect. Okay. Those, those things right now are kind of lost in society because we don't have a lot of respect for others. So it's important that like we're teaching them at a young age, this is what we want to see your behavior be like. Right. And if we start them at a young age, we start them training, um, we get them handling firearms and they're doing it safely and responsibly and respectfully. Um, it's a win. It's a win for everybody because obviously nobody's going to get hurt. Right. Because they know what's going to happen, the cause and the effect of the firearm. Um, and, and, it, and it helps protect our rights. And there's been times I want to quit. The, the, what keeps me going, Michael, 
is the fact that if I quit, there's a kid that's going to die. Yeah. There's a body attached to me putting up that flag and quitting. So that's why I keep going. I think you, yeah, go ahead. And, and, and I'm, I'm not okay with that. And so if, you know, I've, I've been doing this, you know, since 2014, haven't got a paycheck ever, um, but it's not about the money. It's about, it's because we can't put a dollar amount on our children. Right. And, and so I just keep doing, and I'm, I'm horrible at the ask um, just because I, I, I'm just like you. I mean, I feel that we bring enough value that, that there should be companies that want to be a part of this. Right. You, you guys have both raised a couple of really good points that I want to highlight and maybe crystallize a little bit. One is um, the, the temptation to give up and having formed founded Zephyr wellness five years ago, uh, there wasn't too many days that went by where we, where we, my co-owner and I, Lindsay looked at each other and went, what are we doing? Should we just go back to food service? And um, I think what helped us is we started with our eyeballs set on 20 years and not two. And, and that's really important. If you're trying to make large lasting systemic change, you have to elevate your, your viewpoint to say, I'm in this f- for the rest of my life. It is becoming my identity. And normally we try to steer people away of letting their work become their identity. Um, but if you choose it and it's noble and it's your passion, there's no separating the two because you're going to be compelled by God or some other force to do it anyway. So mm-hmm. relax and embrace it, settle in and go, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be tough times and there's going to be successes and we're just going to roll with it no matter what, which speaks to you know a little bit of non-attachment. You can be passionate and non-attached. You can have opinions and not share them all the time. Um, the second thing you bring up is the ask, and and it's something that I'm terrible with too because I've raised to be very humble, and um, I think where where the the struggle is is that people see organizations like ours that got got good web pages, you got a podcast, you're doing the thing, you're put putting out all these numbers as the successes, and they go, well, they probably don't need my help, and they don't realize that we do. And so before we you know conclude, I definitely want to give a shout out to Arms Corps that made a, ma- a major donation to our organization, Walk the Talk America. And I think we need industry partners that the people who, who sell products and generate profit to donate those funds to these types of causes that the nonprofits that are doing the work that nobody else knows how to do. Right. So I'm blessed enough to have a paycheck generated for me by my company that I can go step out and do this volunteer work on the side. You guys don't, you're doing this. This is your, this is your job. It'd be great if you got it as a full-time gig, but we need the funding to do it. And I think it's, it's hard for people who, you know, work in commodities basically uh, and retail to go, well, how do I contribute? You know, well, we'll write a check. If you, if you don't have, the time or the talent that necessarily fits in that in that mold, you can fund the operations. And, and we, I have become a lot less uh, shy about asking people. Say, hey, you know what? Write it, scratch out a check, man. Uh, make it, make a subscription payment if you want. Just just put it in as part of your budget and the a line item in there. It says, you know, donation to Kids Safe. Uh, and you do it every month, whatever you can afford, and that helps sustain it moving forward. Because then you would just work it into the budget every year. And, uh, and it's a win all the way around, but I, I really got to believe that like we work so hard and so well that, um, it looks to everybody like we don't need the help. And it's like, well, yeah, actually we do, <laughs> we do. Cause we're all working for free and we're broke. <laughs> we just, we just work really, really hard with a lot of volunteers, yeah. but you know, volunteers can't, um, you know, print materials. Volunteers, uh, can't produce ammo. They can produce 
education maybe by volunteering their time but we need there's hard costs associated with this you can't volunteer a website hosting you know it's that costs money that that doesn't doesn't get to be uh, sucked up in somebody else's uh you know uh time and talent expenditure so um yeah thanks to thanks to arms corps for that and hopefully more manufacturers get on board uh with with all organizations that are trying to to do the right thing move the conversation forward and true truly save lives truly save lives um it's really awesome i love what you're doing i'm glad we had this opportunity to chat yeah yeah it's been, it's been one of the probably the best podcasts i've ever been on so i've i, I do a lot of podcasting but you know a lot of it's lost on the substance, right? Because it's nice to have a, a connection, right? Where we know, like, I, what I hate is people look at me for the video, you know, especially when we're talking about the video games, they think I'm kind of like, this guy's kind of a FUD, you know? Um, but it's, I'm not necessarily a FUD, it's just because I put a lot of research and I have a lot of partners that I work with around the country that can kind of, you know, validate what I say. Um, so it's nice to have somebody that kind of shares that same outlook. Um, you know, it's, you know, we just... I guess the heart, the most demoralizing thing is just knowing that there's people out there that want to take away our ability to do what we're doing right now. And they have endless amounts of cash. Yeah. Right. And they, and they don't bring any solutions. Their idea is just put on a red shirt and that's going to magically and take everything away and everything's going to be solved. It's not going to, it's not going to be solved. And we're seeing that right now. The, The, our second amendment rights are more relevant now than they have ever been just because of, of society, what's happening with the pandemic. And, and, and so that's why it's really, really important that we keep moving forward as advocates. I, I don't call myself an activist. I call myself an advocate, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a different connotation when it comes to our, our two-way rights. And I, I think I'm, I think Mike will be the same, same way. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's all, I mean, we can, we're in such a great position right now to move that needle forward if we do it properly. And it's through, you know, a good message um, and a positive message as well. And, and, and that's another thing that's going to separate us from others that would like to restrict or, or regulate. Yeah. Mike, you want to ask your favorite question and uh, wrap us up? Yeah, Derek, how, how do you tend to your mental health? How do you tend when, when the anxiety kicks in, when we, when we look at ourselves and we're like, we're working for free, we're working harder than ever. How, how do you tend to your mental health? Typically what I do is I get in front of a, a, a class of kids. Um, I have a tremendous, I work probably 60 to 70 hours a week, but when I get that one hour with them where I get to, to truly do what we do <clears throat> and answer questions and engage and have them laugh at my little jokes, my stupid little jokes. I mean, that's why I know, you know, I, I need to do more for my mental health. So, you know, I, I'm glad you bring that up, you know, cause I, I get so focused on running the machine that I don't take care of what's number one, which is me. What's your favorite dad joke? Well, I always tell a story, right? Because okay. my dad gave me a shotgun when I was five years old. I use it actually in our class. And and so what I do is I talk about this pump action shotgun. And I said, my dad, I said, listen here, kids, here's a pump action shotgun. My dad gave me this shotgun when I was five years old. And I said, the first time I shot it, I cried and they start laughing and, I, and then, then I show them how I was kind of uh, how to shoulder that gun. And it was underneath my armpit, my gun, you know, the gun was up against my nose was against the, the rear of the stock, you know? Um, but then I show them how to properly handle the shotgun. So that's kind of my, my 
typical dad joke and they get, I get lots of laughs, but I also get to show them how I keep my finger off the trigger, keep that muzzle point in a safe direction. And I treat the gun like, so I basically reinforce all those basic safety rules in that little story. That's awesome. That's a, that's a cool story. I like that. I was, I was prepared for something dry and cheeky and uh, uh, on the level of a pun, but that's, that's better. No. It's better. <laughs> and it's personal. It is. So, so Derek, how, how do people find you for those that are listening and hearing this first time? Okay, so you can find us on our website, uh, kidsafe with two S's, foundation.org. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok now um, under Kids Safe Foundation as well. You can follow us along there and uh, send the positive words of encouragement. We'd appreciate it. TikTok, you're not, you're not like wiping the mirror and turning into no, like no, 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 underwear no, all- clad. Okay. No, no, it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird. But I, I, I do have, I do have one new video that has over 200,000 views and it's just a kid with a 22. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Trying to figure out how it all works, but yeah. Okay. Boomer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just labeled age myself. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, thank you, Derek LeBlanc for coming on guns and mental health and discussing yeah. this stuff with us. Uh, we're very proud to know you and we look forward to growing the relationship, certainly as it pertains to the, the mental health, the, the guns and mental health classes that we do. Um, I'm certainly going to start incorporating. I was taking notes this whole time. And um, I want to incorporate some of this stuff into our, into our next iterations because uh, very much like uh, those of you familiar with Rob Pincus, he, he has the, uh, the ICE uh, defensive training. It's an ever-evolving course based on feedback from participants and whatever he learns along the way we want to do the same thing with our courses uh so the more feedback the better they'll just they're just going to continue improving and you certainly are going to contribute to that and i look i look forward to exchanging more with you down the road i appreciate it so yeah i I look forward to that well on behalf of walk the talk america the gun community the mental health community we sure appreciate you listening um please share our content it doesn't do any good locked up in our heads So share around, sharing is caring, and knowledge is a good thing. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a good one.